listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. Amen. Good to see you guys. How are y'all that new that like none of you have been part of LH Christmas before? How is that possible? Y'all, this is the best weekend of the year at Long Hollow. I'm not kidding. You want to be a part of that. I would love to have y'all join me in a kid's room if you want to serve that weekend and um, help make it a special weekend for everybody. Hey, as we start tonight, I need some audience participation. So this is your tent. You can get your vocal cords warmed up. You can respond the whole message if you want to, like Preston does. Uh, Hey, I'm going to say a few names. And when I say these names, I just want you to, whatever comes out, comes out. If that is cheers or booze, whatever it needs to be for you, I want that to come out. Give me some, some, give me some verbal feedback. So the first one I'm going to say is Joanna Gaines. Okay. Okay. That was, my wife is cheering in the back. When, when I grow up someday, I want to be Chip Gaines. Um, the next one, this is more for the guys. Man, I shouldn't say that. Peyton Manning. Okay. Wow. We got whistles on that one. Awesome. All right. The third one is our hometown sweetheart. I don't know if we call her that or not. Taylor Swift. (laughs) That was a given. We got some Swifties in the room. I knew I could get y'all with that one. All right. The last one is this. The name is Andrew Tate. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I've, wow, that was strong. There were some strong responses there. Hey, I am with you. In what I know of the story of Andrew Tate, this like kickboxer who said and done a bunch of stuff that we would not agree, would not think is okay, banned on social media sites. I don't know the full story, but what I do know of it, I'm with you in your response there. Uh, but what I want you to hear tonight is that that name has actually always had a whole lot of different meaning for me the last decade or so. Um, so a couple weeks ago, some of you uh, told, was talking to about it earlier, the football fans in here, I got to go on the trip of a lifetime. Um, and I'm going to show you a picture of it here. I got to go up to Green Bay, Wisconsin and watch the Packers play. So li- leave that picture up there for a minute. They were playing the Titans. I know it was kind of, I was conflicted a little bit, but y'all, it snowed the whole time I'm standing in Green Bay. I'm like, I don't even know, I felt like I had died and gone to heaven in that moment. A really, really cold heaven. It was uh, as cold as it looks in the picture. I've regained the use of most of my toes. But, you know, the, the cool thing about that trip, there was so much that was fun about it, but it ended up being a really cool group of people that I went with. So, and it's a long story, but it was a random group of people. So the first person was my 12-year-old nephew. The second person was Andy Williams, who leads worship for us most weeks. And the third person was a college buddy of mine, and that's him right there. We, we lived together for a couple years in college and have been good friends since then. And his name is Andrew Tate. I knew nothing of this controversy before this trip, but he filled us in while we were up there. You know, his life's been kind of crazy since all whatever this is started happening. He, his wife texted us while he's up there. She went to pick up a food order. She had ordered it under his name, and the cashier's like laughing at her as she's picking it up, right? Our security guard at the airport, he hands him his boarding pass and his license, and the guy's like doing a double take. I'm like, wait a minute. And he goes, it's unfortunate, I know. And the guy's like, that is unfortunate. 
Um, and then the, the kicker for me, my, my friend, my guy, he's just a realtor south of Nashville trying to make an honest living on Instagram. He had like a thousand followers beforehand. He now has 10,300 Instagram followers and he's getting hateful messages in his DMs almost every day. He's like, God, it's not me. Like, look, it's just my kids and houses in my feet. Like, it's, I'm not that Andrew Tate. Y'all, names are important. Names are important because they're tied to people and they're tied to stories. Names are important. And as we start to celebrate Christmas tonight, what I want to do is I want us to look back at all of the names that came before Jesus in his genealogy. So you can be opening up to Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 tonight. It's in the back half of your book, of your Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 is this genealogy that Matthew has written of the people that came before Jesus in his bloodline. And as he wrote this genealogy out, he knew he was taking the Jewish people on kind of a wild ride through their history. Like, this is not the kind of genealogy you would think that the Son of God would come from. I mean, he does a lot of unconventional things, and uh, my, my prayer tonight is, as you reacted emotionally to those names that I said earlier, the Jewish people would have been reacting in all sorts of different ways to the names in this genealogy. And my prayer for you tonight is that you won't just gloss over genealogies anymore in Scripture. Is anybody guilty of that ever? I'm the first to raise their hand. Okay, thank you, Eli. Uh, so I don't want you to gloss over genealogies like that, like take the time to, to dig into these types of things. But I also want you to look at this group of people that Matthew points out in the bloodline of our king. And I want you to see that there's room for you in this family line. Like there is a good king that we have, and he wants you to be a part of that kingdom. You belong in the kingdom, right? So let's look at this genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, and I'm actually going to read the whole thing. Um, we're going to read through this, and we're going to point out some specific people that Matthew mentions that were unconventional for writing a genealogy. So here we go, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife, Solomon fathered Rehoboam, Rehoboam fathered Abijah, Abijah fathered Asa, Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, Joram fathered Uzziah, Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Ammon, Ammon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Last section, verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiud, Abiud fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Akim, Akim fathered Eliud, Eliud fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathan, Mathan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we pray tonight as we look at your word that we would not just see 
a list of names, but that we would see a bloodline of our king, and that we would see that there's room for us in it, no matter our story, no matter how good or bad we've ever been. Lord, you welcome us into your kingdom. We belong there because of you, because of you. Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word to all of us tonight. Would you fill the room, God? We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew, to give you the backstory on this genealogy, he's a Jewish author. He's writing to a Jewish audience. And that comes with purpose when he writes things like this. So he doesn't just write. He's not just trying to get all the details just like they were. He has purpose in his writing, just like any news outlet or anything like that does. There's an agenda within what he's writing. And part of what he's trying to do, one of his goals is to show that this kingdom of heaven that he talks about over and over again throughout his gospel, shown that the kingdom of heaven is open to everyone. Like it has been this uh, focus group on the people of Israel, and, and the doors are wide open to everyone at this point. And Jesus has come. It's no, it's no longer uh, just Gentiles that are, that are kept out of the kingdom, right? No, no, they're, they're welcomed in, in all of their, uh, in wherever they are in life. So you're welcomed into the kingdom of heaven like Matthew's talking about no matter your race or your gender or your social status or even your attitude towards Jesus in the past, as we'll see in Matthew's story. And we see this, this pattern, this message over and over again of the, Jesus going after the outsider. Like We're, we're going to read stories in Matthew over and over of people who grew up in the religious system, they were Jewish, they had the Jewish heritage, and they missed Jesus, right? They can't wrap their minds around Jesus and the kind of kingdom that he's trying to build, including all people. But then on the flip side, we're going to see Jesus going after all kinds of people who were kind of the religious outsiders, if you will. Like they didn't have the pedigree or the heritage or they had the sinful lifestyle that everybody knew about. And yet he welcomes those people into the kingdom. That is the, the purpose of Matthew's book. One of the purposes in what he wrote here. And now he, set, he sets up the whole book, that whole idea, with this genealogy that he wrote. Now, gene, genealogies were a big deal at the time. People still like their bloodlines today. I'm going to imagine there were a lot of purchases made on like Ancestry websites yesterday on, uh, on Black, uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, right? Uh, lots of those purchases were made. People are going to get those as Christmas gifts, whether they want them or not this year. Um, but people like to see their bloodline, right? Like we want to see where we're from, who our ancestors are, how strong our bloodline is, where in the world all of our ancestors come from. We like to see that stuff. It's kind of cool to, to see that and to take pride in where you come from. And it was no different for them in this day. So you're writing a genealogy to show how strong it is, how pure it is, all of those type things. That's why you write a genealogy, right? But this, it's like Matthew has intentionally gone above and beyond to do things the opposite of that. Like he's not uh, holding anything back in this bloodline. He's not erasing stories that were bad just because they were bad. No, he's including all of the bad stuff in the bloodline too. So clearly his goal is not to show that the Son of God came from this perfect line of perfect people. That's not the point of Jesus' coming. Um, is, to, is to come for all the perfect people, right? That, that's not why he came. Now, I'm going to spare you from looking through every single name, but one of the unconventional things that Matthew did here was including the women within this bloodline. And he points out five, including Mary at the end, uh, who were pivotal in, within this genealogy. 
And we're going to look at those ladies tonight because Matthew went out of his way to point those out to us. He didn't have to include those in the time they were in. Um, so I want to look at the, the four ladies and then Mary that were included in this genealogy and hear their stories because they're not all pretty, right? Like he, he intentionally wanted to point out these stories that were included here with the women that he included. And, and I will just say this too, this is not where we're headed tonight, but that's a big deal that Matthew included the women in this genealogy. That says something about Jesus and his kingdom, that it is not this masculine only kingdom, right? <laughs> women, are, women are a huge part of this kingdom just as much as men are, right? Thank you, yes. Uh, <laughs> wow, wow. The clap for Jesus, not me. It's, it's his kingdom. Uh, but the first one that he mentions is Tamar, back in verse 3. Now, this one, he really starts off with a bang with this one, if you know this story at all. Now, you're going to find it if you want to look later. It's in Genesis 38. That's where Tamar's story is. Um, to begin with, she's a Canaanite, so she doesn't have the, the Jewish bloodline of the Hebrew people. But if you go back and read this story, man, this is, this is an ugly one. Like, Tamar marries Judah's daughter. You're going to see Judah listed there. Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. So she marries his son, and he dies. So according to the custom, that guy's brother steps in to be her husband. He dies also. This is an unfortunate situation for Tamar. But Judah decides not to give her his third son as a husband, and she's upset about it. All of a sudden, she's a widow. She has no children. Like, she is the low person on the totem pole in society at this point. So what does she do? She takes matters into her own hands. She pretends to be a prostitute, and who comes along and impregnates her but Judah, her father-in-law, two times over? Now, that's not a story that you're talking about at your Thanksgiving family get-together, Right? That's one that the Jewish people are like, whoa, did we have to include that one in there? Like, we could have left that out. We didn't have to say Tamar's name in there. Uh, not the type of story you would think in the bloodline of the Son of God, right? But what do we know about Jesus? He's not the kind of king that anybody expected. He's the type of king that we needed. The next lady that we see is Rahab, and she's in verse 5 of this genealogy. Uh, you can read her story in Joshua chapter 2. And I really would encourage you to go back and read these later to try to soak this in for yourself too. Um, you may know her as Rahab the prostitute. Like scripture does not uh, shy away from her profession. That's her name in scriptures, Rahab the prostitute. But she's the person who decides to hide the spies of Israel whenever they come and they're checking out Jericho. God's told them to move into this land, so they're checking things out. And uh, Rahab says, I've heard about this God, and I've heard that his people are coming. And I believe that God is stronger than anything we've got going on here. And he tells them, I'm going to hide you and protect you. And he keeps them safe from the king of Jericho. She puts her faith in God in that moment. And, and Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith even includes her. Like, that's the elite of the elite, right? Of people that are included in the Hall of Faith. And it says, by Rahab the prostitute, welcome. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace, and she didn't die with those who disobeyed. That's a big deal that she's included in that. So we've got this woman who was an outsider, and God is eager to welcome her into the kingdom as an insider in his kingdom, right? Ruth is the third woman that we see in the story. She's also in verse 5. Ruth's story is really kind of beautiful from beginning to end in a lot of ways. So it feels a little bit different than the other ones, right? You may know Ruth's story. She's a Moabitess, so again, we don't have the Jewish bloodline to strengthen things, to make it tied to Jesus that much stronger. We don't have that going on. Um, but what we do see 
is that Ruth, again, her husband dies, her brother-in-law dies. So we got the two brothers that have died. Uh, her father-in-law dies. A lot of people dying in this situation too, unfortunately, but she sticks with her mother-in-law. Her name's Naomi. And the custom of the time would have been for them to go their separate ways, for Ruth to go back to her family, for Naomi to do her thing, which would have been a, which would have been a sad life for Naomi. And Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not sticking to just the custom of the day. I'm going to stick with you. And he shows her great loyalty in that moment. And really what she decided to do was leave all of her upbringing behind, leave all of her heritage behind. And she goes and serves Naomi and serves the God that she's under, right? We're seeing Ruth chapter one, verse 16. It says, for wherever, this is, this is Ruth talking to Naomi when she's deciding, I'm sticking with you. She says, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And again, we see an outsider who God is eager to welcome into his kingdom. The doors are not up for the outsiders of the world, right? Verse six, we see Uriah's wife. She's the next woman mentioned. And she is a a Jewish woman, but she married a Hittite named Uriah. Um, Her name is Bathsheba. Now, even by not, him not including her name, that's not a disrespectful thing. That's a, hey, you need to remember the story that happened here thing. Because Uriah's wife, not David's wife, right? You may know the story again. Uh, David, while Uriah is off leading David's army at war, David has an affair with his wife. She gets pregnant. Um, and again, a, an ugly story. And when that son dies from that, uh, from that encounter, we really, we see the lowest point in David's kingship. That's a, that's a really, really low point, maybe the lowest point in this whole genealogy that we're reading tonight. But yet again, God decided to redeem the situation, right? And he includes Bathsheba in this bloodline of Jesus by giving her another son named Solomon. He keeps including these people that the, that the religious people would say, no, they're not part of the kingdom. He keeps doing that. Perhaps the most obvious person to include in the genealogy, but also the most controversial, the most scandalous, would be Mary herself, right? Mary's mentioned over in verse 16. If you don't know anybody else in the Bible, you probably know Mary, Jesus' mother. So we've talked about all the outsiders. Mary's the opposite of that. She's the insider. She's grown up in the Jewish faith. She loves God. We see her faith all throughout the story of Jesus' birth, this Christmas story that we're looking at, but in a twist in her story, she's an insider who becomes an outsider because of her public perception, right? Whenever it's found out that she is uh, pregnant from the Holy Spirit, people can't handle that. Like they, they can't believe her that she's been faithful to Joseph, that there's no way that's possible in their mind. And so what happens? We see the ultimate rejection of Mary and her husband, Joseph, when it's time to give birth to Jesus. And y'all, I realize Very few, if any of you, have been in the moment where it's time to give birth to a child. But that's not a situation where you, like, turn a lady away. Like, that's a situation where you clear out everything you got going on and, yeah, come on in here. Um, But what what happens in this story, you know, she's she's rejected. Nobody will let her in to give birth to a child. So Jesus, the Son of God, is born in the back with the animals. He he starts out a sort of an, an outsider himself. So Mary was an insider who became an outsider, who became the mother of the Son of God. I think that's pretty cool. 
Now, I hope you're seeing as we walk through this genealogy, there's way more here than just a list of names. Like you could go back and look at the story of each of these people, some who led the people to God, some who led the people away from God. Man, you could spend endless time looking at this and letting God teach you through it. Um, but as we read it and we, as we look at the rest of Matthew, if you were to read it too, you got to ask yourself, why does Matthew go to such great length to include the outsider, to continue to point out these people, to continue to point out their inclusion in the kingdom? And I think the reason is because he knows what it feels like to be the outsider. And I don't know if you have ever felt that way. I know I, ha I have it in different ways throughout my life, um, even in minor ways, but when you feel it, it's no fun, right? Like even when I was in high school, I was on the football team. Most of my friends are on the basketball team. And I felt like I was in these like two worlds that I really didn't fit in in either of them. It was just a weird spot to be in. When I was uh, in church in high school, by the time I was a senior, most of my friends that I went to church with, they had stopped going to church. And I felt like this like Lone Ranger, even, even sitting in the church. And that was not a good feeling. And when, when I moved here to work at Long Hollow, my very first day I go to work, I've done my job for the day. I don't know anybody or anything here. So what did I do for dinner? I said, well, there's a mall. The mall has a food court. And so as it poured down rain on January 3rd, I went and sat in the food court at the Madison Mall and ate Chinese food. And if you've been to that mall, you know how lonely that picture is. I was an outsider in that moment. I felt really alone. Uh, now, those are kind of silly examples, but we all know what that feels like, right? We, we, we want to be included in stuff. We want to be part of things. We want to feel like we're, we're included and we belong to a group of people. And as Matthew learns throughout his life, there's no place that we all belong except for the kingdom of God. That's the one place that we can all come, that we can say, yep, I belong here because of what God has done in us. And so Matthew's backstory, very briefly, he's a, he's a Jewish man, but he's a tax collector, as we read in chapter 9. Now that is a weird thing. Like at some point he would have had to have essentially said, eh, I'm done with the Jewish way of life. I'm going to go work for the Romans and collect taxes for them. Like that's a total disregard of his upbringing. Essentially he said, I'm okay being mocked and hated by everybody I've ever known because it's worth it to go serve the almighty dollar. That's, that's what he said to his life and what he said to his upbringing as a follower of God. Matthew was an outsider by choice. And he chose to move himself outside of the people of God. But Jesus, but Jesus, do you remember that moment in your life? That but Jesus moment. Matthew chapter 9, we see that moment that happens in Matthew's life. And it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. What a model for us to follow, right? He sat there eating with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, why would he associate with those people? Now, when he heard this, he said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Jesus didn't come for the insiders, right? He came for the outsiders. Jesus didn't come for those who think they're perfect. He came for those of us who know we're not. 
right? That's the people Jesus came looking for. And then when this clicked in Matthew's head and he gets up and follows Jesus, all of a sudden he's got a whole new declaration over his life. And we read it in this genealogy in the next 27 chapters of Matthew. What he's saying is, hold on folks, there's a new king and a new kingdom and his name's Jesus and the doors are open to everyone, even someone like me. That's the story Matthew's telling in his gospel. And as you celebrate Christmas this season, I wonder if maybe, you know, this is, this is a celebration message. And I wonder if this Christmas season, maybe we need to start thinking about Jesus a little bit different. Like we have the picture of Jesus in the manger as a baby in our heads, and that's great. Don't lose that. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe what we need to add as we celebrate Christmas this season is remembering that Jesus is a king. Like he's not just a baby. He's not just a religious leader. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a great teacher. No, no, no. He's a capital K sitting on his throne, crown on his head, king. And he welcomes all of us into the kingdom. Like how cool is it uh, that no matter what your family history looks like, no matter what things in your past you wish you could erase, I know I've got stuff. How cool is it? How good is it that Jesus, when he was born, it wasn't just for the cleanest, the most buttoned up among us. How cool is it that he doesn't shy away from the outsider? He actually chases after the outsider over and over again. How cool is it, y'all, that when Jesus came, uh, he invites us into the kingdom. He says, you belong in the kingdom, and I've paid the entrance fee for you already. You can get into this kingdom, and it's through me. Because you see, Jesus looks at you, and he sees your past, and he even sees your future, and he says, I've got good news. All that stuff you wish you could erase, I'm not going to erase it. But what I will do is I'll cover it up with my blood. And that's the king that we serve. You see, entrance into this kingdom does not come because of anything you've ever done or not done. Entrance into this relationship with King Jesus comes because of what the king has already done for us. So as we celebrate Christmas this season, let's celebrate that the king is here and let's also celebrate that we belong in his kingdom. If you will, go ahead and bow your heads. And I want, to, I want to pray over you. And I wonder if any of you maybe needed this encouragement tonight. Maybe needed this reminder that no matter what you've got going on in your life, no matter what scars you have in your past, this kingdom's for you. And you belong in here. I wonder, I just want to, I want to pray over you. And I wonder if any of you would say, yeah, I've struggled with that. I've wondered with wondering how I can be accepted because of things in my past. And if that, if that's you, if you struggled with that, with things in your past that you feel like would keep you away from a relationship with Jesus, would you just slip your hand up so I can see you and, and pray over you? If that acceptance is something you've struggled with, you're not alone in that if you're raising your hand. And I, don't, I want to pray over you too if you have, uh, maybe you've never heard this before, or maybe this is a new concept for you, being, being welcomed by a king, and you've, you've never found entrance into that kingdom before. You've never trusted King Jesus with your life. If that's you, and that's something that you're thinking about, that you want to explore more, or that you're ready to do, say, yes, I want to bow the knee to Jesus because 
he, he takes care of my past. If that's you, you can slip your hand up too. And I, and I just want to pray over you. And I'll give you just a moment. God, I pray that this would be an encouraging reminder to all of us tonight um, that you love us no matter what. Pray that you would constantly remind us this Christmas season that uh, no matter what's in our past, no matter what's in our future, no matter what our family looks like, um, that you love us, God. And it's not based on us. It's actually based on you and the work that you did on the cross. Lord, help us this season to not just celebrate that you're here, but even to go a step further and to celebrate that you welcome us, that you look at us and you say, you belong here. God, we love you. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for pursuing us. I pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.